This podcast is brought to you by StoryKingBooks.com. Sign up to receive a free copy of my latest ebook novella, Kane's Confession. If you would like to learn how to support this show, visit www.patreon.com forward slash the Story King. And now for today's episode. Welcome to the Story King podcast, the show all about fiction, film, and form. I'm your host, John Carlo, and today I have actor, writer, and filmmaker David Chamberlain. As I said, David Chamberlain is a young and talented actor, writer, and filmmaker. He's a recent university graduate with a degree in theater, and he's host of the podcast From My Mom's Basement, where he reads his own short stories. Here is my conversation with David Chamberlain. Well, welcome to the Story King podcast, David. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Excited for you to come on the show. Tell me a little bit about your story, who you are, what you do, that sort of thing. Okay. Yeah. So, um, like you said, my name's David Chamberlain. I'm from Salt Lake, Utah. I'm a recent graduate from university. I just graduated in a degree in theater. So right now I'm kind of working as an actor doing gigs here and there, like for local commercials and short films. And then I also have my own podcast where I write short stories and, and even longer stories. And then, uh, Every now and again, I get behind the camera and kind of create my own videos, whether they're like sketch videos for YouTube or, you know, more professional short films. So, yeah. Now, I know you're involved in writing, acting and film. Which one of those do you identify the most with? Do you see yourself as an actor first, a director or writer? Where are you at? That's So, that's something that I've struggled with for a long time because I always had it in my head that as an artist, you have to pick one or the other, like a painter paints, you know, sculptor sculpts. They don't do mm-hmm. anything else. But I kind of realized that, you know, I'm not the one who decides. The, the audience who consumes my art gets to decide. Meaning, if you listen to my podcast, you know, to you, I'm a writer. If you watch my films, to you, I'm a filmmaker, right? If you see me perform, I'm an actor to you. When I'm all of those things, Right. And, you know, maybe one day I'll wake up and I'll write more that day. So maybe that day, you know, I'm a little bit more of a writer, you know, but I don't necessarily need to pick one or the other. Now, that all being said, when it comes down to it, Mm -hmm. I think my gift is probably in acting. I think that's the thing that I'm just the most naturally, I I don't have to think about it. Whereas writing and filmmaking, I, I have to work really hard and consistently to, you know, have a product that I like. So, Mm -hmm. okay. That makes sense. Now, looking over your acting reel on your website, davidchamberlain.org, you do employ a good deal of humor in a lot of those. My, my, I have three young sons. They were laughing at a bunch of your uh, <laughs> sketches. That's great. <laughs> so, I'm curious, what are some of your sources of inspiration as far as people, books, movies, whatever? Definitely as far as comedy goes, Tim Heidecker. Do you, are you familiar with him? Mm-mm. So he had a show on Adult Swim in the early 2000s. It's some weird, like absurdist humor. So he was a big influence on on me. I'm kind of into, yeah, just kind of like goofy oddball humor, which oddly enough seems to be coming more into the mainstream with like TikTok and stuff. That's kind of what (laughs) the younger generation is into. So yeah, um, but definitely I would say him, 
as far as just like other acting inspirations or like you said, books, um, Kurt Vonnegut is a big oh, writing I inspiration. Love, I love like, Kurt yeah. Vonnegut. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's, he's kind of, you know, satirical and humorous, but also, you know, he has some powerful messages. Um, mm -hmm. so yeah, I would say he's a huge influence on me. Um, awesome. I watched your, uh, 2017 short early breakfast. I was really impressed that you were able to achieve something funny and yet intimate in this tiny amount of time. You know, I was really like locked in for this like six minute movie. Oh, cool. So why don't you walk us through like the process of writing and producing such a short film? What does somebody need to consider to make a successful short? So for your first question, making that film, mm -hmm. I'm lucky because I started, you know, getting into filmmaking at a very young age, meaning as I got older, I was kind of surrounded with a network of people who were also into filmmaking. Mm -hmm. And so if I have an idea or something that comes to me, I can reach out to my friends and be like, hey, I have this idea. Do you want to get together and work with work on it with me? And so that's kind of what happened with this film. I remember I just kind of got the idea of I just want to make a short of just a conversation. Right. And I didn't even really have the idea of what the conversation was going to be. I was just going to sit down and write it. So I sit down and write it and it ends up being what you see in the film. And uh, well, the second I was done, it took me like uh, a day to write. The second it was done, I reached out to my buddy. I was like, hey, I have a script. Here you go. Do you want to help me make this? And he's like, sure. And so from there, we got a sound guy. We got a first AD. We got some actor buddies. Um, I called the diner where we filmed. I was like, hey, can we come film on this date? Just boom, boom, boom. Now, it's not always like that. Um, sometimes making a film is months of preparation, right? But that way, that, that particular film, the stars just kind of aligned. Um, now, your second question, mm -hmm. anyone who wants to get into filmmaking. Now, I'm going to pretend that, say, and, and I'll preface this with saying I still have a lot to learn. So this is just kind of, you know, tips that I've learned along the way. Sure. Um, I'm no authority. But if you're getting into filmmaking, I would say before you go off and try to make that short film idea that you've had, sit down and maybe make a 20 second, 30 second minute long short film just with your iPhone or something mm. and just kind of learn the vocabulary of what makes a good film, right? Because I promise your first few film films aren't going to look good, you know, unless you're like a virtuoso like Mozart, they're, they're not going to be great. So what that will do though, is you'll make the film and you'll look at it and you'll ask yourself, why doesn't that look like what I see on TV? You know, why does it look kind of bad? And when you start asking those questions, you'll go, well, maybe it's because I shot it this way. And in, in, in the movies, they kind of shoot it, you know, maybe more close up or the camera's mm -hmm. like moving. It's more dynamic. Maybe I can try to employ those things. And pretty soon it'll become a part of you, just like riding a bike. And when you're filming a scene, you'll be like, well, if this conversation's happening, I'm going to want the camera here and here to portray this emotion. Mm -hmm. And pretty soon it'll just become a second language, right? And I'd say once you get that down, that's when you should go and, you know, embark on your short film. And don't worry about the camera quality. You know, a lot of people are like, well, I can't do it until I have the right equipment or the mm -hmm. right, you know, editing software. And I think that's, you know, more or less an excuse, right? I mean, we have, we have cameras in our phones that are better than, you know, some of the greatest filmmakers ever had, right? right. So, I mean, just... Just go out and do it. And, you know, maybe at a certain point you can get a camera that kind of matches your abilities, but you don't need to go out and buy a professional camera right off the bat, you know? So yeah, that would be my advice. You know, it's funny. That's, that's almost the same advice that every independent filmmaker gives me. 
really it's, yeah it's funny like literally everybody says just go out and do it and yeah. stop like making excuses and even with the same reasoning that you said that we have cameras in our phones we have like more technology than we've ever had mm. and and really easy accessible stuff so it may not be your dream equipment like you said but yeah it's still like you can get the fundamentals down and build exactly there like if I want to be a violinist, I'm not going to wait until I can buy a $10,000 violin. Right. You know, it's not going to suddenly make me a better violin player. You know, you're going to start off and then maybe one day when you're a great violin player, you'll maybe go buy a violin that matches your abilities, but you don't need a great violin starting off, you know. So. Absolutely. Now, you, it sounded like you put together early breakfast, like pretty quick. You said you wrote it in a day. Like, like what's the yeah. time? How long did the whole thing take from writing it to editing? I just want to get the timeline okay. in there. So let's see. So I started, I wrote the thing. This was a few years ago. Yeah, 2017. So I wrote it in June, I believe, June of 2017. The, the only, the big time problem was getting a date we could film in the diner. So right. that's what took the longest. If it hadn't been for that location, I mean, we could have technically filmed it, you know, the next week. So I believe we didn't end up filming into, until July, mid-July of that year. So wrote it in June, kind of got everything planned, got a crew and, you know, a cast set up. And then we went and filmed mid-July. And then we had a finished product by the time Slam Dance Film Festival and Sundance Film Festival needed, you had to apply, which was end of August, I believe. So yeah, um, it went from June to August was basically through editing, post-production, all of that, three months. Two months. So. Three months. Two okay. months. Two months, yeah. So About two months. And did you have to shoot it in like some weird time at the diner? Interestingly enough, yeah, we asked them and um, they're like, just come in the middle of the day because that's actually our slowest hours and we're not going to like clear out the restaurant for you. So just you're just going to have to film on one side. And we're like, okay, sure. That's fine. So there were some like patrons in the restaurant while we were just filming, you know, it was pretty funny, but they didn't make you like pay for it or anything. Uh, no, they didn't. But actually that diner is kind of cool. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Jared Hess. He did, um, Napoleon Dynamite. Oh yeah. Um, so yeah, he's kind of like a star indie filmmaker. Um, but uh, he filmed a scene for one of his movies there, and they kind of it kind of just has that like you know classic diner vibe, you know. So it was kind of cool. It's uh, very cool, and it's also like a, a testament, right? That you you just asked, right? Like yeah. sometimes you just have to ask. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, and because that could be a problem in somebody's head that doesn't have to be a problem. Like, oh, how how am I going to shoot here or whatever? Mm -hmm. And you just called them up and they told you what time to do it. <laughs> so, I mean, you won't believe how much, how many opportunities you get just from asking. Like, I mean, so many jobs I've gotten on set are just from me, like messaging, like a director I see on Facebook and saying, Hey, I see you have an upcoming shoot. Can I come and be a production assistant on your set? Do you need an extra hand? And they'll just be like, yeah, sure, sure. You know, we could always use some help. And that's how you build connections. You know, you just have to ask. So there was a, uh, I don't know if you're familiar. He's like a humorous rapper by the name of Lil Dicky. Oh, of course. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, he has this uh, video called Save Money where he's literally just going to other rappers' videos and asking if he can shoot a scene off their video like it's his. 
and he's like not paying anybody any money and he makes the whole video that way and i was like wow that's brilliant i've seen that it's a great video yeah Yeah. i mean it looks yeah just walk yeah marches up to their front door and says (laughs) hey can i use this yeah yeah it's yeah going up to people in the hamptons just like (laughs) we just need like 10 minutes just i just want to make it look like it's my house or whatever and like he finally gets most people said no but he got like the one house yeah that would say yes so and that's it's, all you need. Yeah. That's all you need. Just the one, the one yes. You did mention something about like network. So I'm always fascinated by people into film because, you know, I'm a writer. And as a okay. writer, it's such a solitary thing. I don't need a network. I, I exactly. do when it comes to marketing and trying to get the books out there. But as far as the creation process, you know, filmmaking is such a collaborative effort. So, like, how important is it for you to have like some type of network? when it comes to filmmaking probably the most important thing like easily easily one of the most important things because like you said it's it's probably one of if not the most collaborative art forms you can't you just can't do it by yourself i mean you can to an extent you know there are some people who've done some pretty good stuff all by themselves Mm -hmm. but if you're trying to really make something you're going to need at least some sort of a crew and you know you might want to act with at least one other person other than yourself you know so you need to know a few people and that's also how you'll get 99 percent of your jobs is through connections right it's not like a, a regular sort of corporate career where you go in and you interview and all of this normally it's hey look we're shooting this next month can you come and can you do this you know that's how you get your jobs right it's just people that know you you know you got to connect in any way you can. Like for me, mostly it's through, through Facebook. Utah has a, a Facebook group. It's called, you know, Utah filmmakers and actors group or something. And yeah, that's how I get, you know, most of my work is just scrolling through that page and just people are like, Hey, I need an actor here. I need someone here. And you start to meet people and, you know, the film community although it's big, it's also, you know, a small world, you know, everybody knows someone through someone, you know, so that's, you know, you start to make a bigger network, you know, you start to know people through other people. And yeah, but I would say networking is, you know, probably the most important thing. So yeah, it's interesting that I'm I'm glad you said that, that you you get a lot of work through Facebook, because I spoke to another guy, an independent director. Mm -hmm. And he was telling me that for him, it's all about like in-person connection and that Mm. COVID really screwed him up because it shut down all that in-person connection where he finds work, you know, that he... Interesting. Yeah, he felt like there wasn't really any replacement online to get the type of work he gets when he just shows up at places, you know? Uh, Yeah, and and I would agree. You know, there's something about that face-to-face connection that you know, people will actually remember you and they'll remember that conversation. Whereas if you DM someone on Facebook, they might, you know, ignore you. Honestly, they might just not even look at the message. So there is something to be said for, you know, having that interpersonal connection face to face, you know? Right. So that is hard in a pandemic, but yeah, I mean, that, that was his whole point too, that, that, um, people get to see whether they like you or not Mm -hmm. in, you know, face to face, because maybe in a, like you said, in a DM, it, it might just be like, ah, oh, this guy's just whatever. They'll make a, an impression. Whereas yeah. if they meet you like, oh, this guy's cool. I, I could mind, I, I don't mind working with this guy. And, and his whole thing was with filmmaking, you might be working with them for weeks or months at a time. So it's mm-hmm. like really important that they like you and can see that you're somebody that they can work with. So that was his whole yeah. point for like that face to face connection. But it's cool that you're able to do it online as well. Yeah. And that is something hard about, you know, a Facebook sort of interaction is 
when you talk to someone face to face, you can kind of have some small talk, you know, you can kind of get to know one another, but when you're DMing someone, it's all business. It's like, Hey, can I come work for you on this? You know, you know, you're not really going to just start having small talk with some stranger on the internet. Right. So it's kind of like, yeah, it's hard to get to know someone that way. Right. It's like, there's, there's already uh, an ulterior motive just in reaching out. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So when did you first become interested in pursuing writing, film, and the arts? Was that something from your childhood? Were your parents actors or writers? Or did you discover a passion for it much later? So my parents are definitely not artists in like really any way. So, I mean, my, my, they're really interested in arts. I would say they're cultured. Um, but my dad's a pilot and my mom's a mm-hmm. nurse. So not very artistic careers. Right. Um, but growing up... I remember some of my earliest memories are of this VHS sort of like bookshelf we had just filled, crammed with VHS tapes. You know, I would just sit and watch Star Wars like on repeat, like every day, like that was my thing. And at the beginning of the Empire Strikes Back VHS we had, George Lucas was being interviewed. And that's one of my first inter- uh, first like real memories uh, is like George Lucas talking about, you know, his idea for Star Wars, how he came up with it and how he wanted it to be like a serial and all of this. And I didn't know half the words he was saying at the time, but <laughs> it really intrigued me. And um, so, yeah, I grew up from a very young age surrounded by film. And I just always knew that that was something I loved. My parents never discouraged me from pursuing the arts. You know, I was very lucky that way. So, I mean, since, man, since I was a kid, you know, I've always been wanting to create, wanting to play make-believe. And I, I just never really stopped. I never grew out of it, I guess, you know? Right. But. Yeah, it's very cool that your parents didn't discourage you, especially since you had such non-artsy type jobs, pilot and nurse. You, you know, I would imagine that they would have some type of critique towards uh, pursuing that. So, that's cool that they didn't. Yeah, you know, I was very lucky because I mean, half, I mean, probably more than half of the kids I, you know, went to college with you, who were in theater degrees, they had some sort of strained relationship with their parents because they wanted them to, you know, pursue a quote unquote practical career. And um, I'm just lucky I got to avoid, to avoid that. And it's just, I think it's funny when people, they almost think that artists are ignorant. They're like, why would you do that? You know, you're not going to make any money. And it's right. like, it's like, we know that, but we just have to do this. You know, it's right. not like we're, we're like dumb. We're, we know that, but yeah. Yeah. It's like, uh, we still, we still hope for the money, but whether the money comes or not, we still have to create. Exactly. It's like, it's not, it's not really a choice, you know? Right. So, yeah. So let's talk about your podcast a little bit from my mom's basement. You read short stories on the show. Are they all your own stories then? Yep. Yeah, all written by me. So Now, when it comes to your fiction, what genre do you primarily write in? So that's a good question. Looking over the short stories I wrote, they don't really fall into a certain genre. I would say a lot of them, though, are they do have a humorous element. Um, but I mean, I've written in horror. I've written in kind of a more dramatic literary sort of style. So they're, they're really all over the place. And really, I started that podcast. Um, it's called From My Mom's Basement for a Reason. I'm in my mom's basement right now. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I wanted it to be a way that I could just do something all by myself. Because like we talked about film, you have to have that network. You know, you have to collaborate. So that podcast was a way, okay, I can write and perform my own stories without anyone. But beyond that, it was also just a way for me to kind of hone my craft. Because like I said earlier, 
writing is something that I've had to work at more. It's not like acting where I can just, you know, sort of do it. Um, and so I just started pumping out stories. I just gave myself a commitment. And I was just like, okay, I need to do like at least a story a month. You know, I started doing that last year, a story a month. And um, I've stuck with it. And I think the quality of the stories has gotten better each time, which is what you want. You want to continue to improve. That being said, I've noticed my style is kind of changing as well. You know, as I go from story to story, um, my prose is a little different. My subject matter is a little different. So who knows in 10 years, maybe I'll be able to look back and be like, okay, so this was really what my style was. This was my genre, it seems like. But right now I'm just starting to figure it out. I'm starting starting to find my voice. So any books in the making or do you want to release a collection of these short stories at some point? So that is kind of like, that's one of my like big lifetime goals is to like publish a novel, right? And um, I'd like it to be traditionally published. Not that there's anything wrong with like self-publishing. I think that's awesome. But I, it's a goal, personal goal of mine to have a traditionally published um, novel. So that's kind of what this is about is creating a body of work that maybe one day, once I do have a manuscript ready, you know, I can show a, an agent, a literary agent or, or something that hey, I have a body of work. Here's stuff I've written and here's my manuscript. And so, yeah, yeah, that's a goal of mine for sure. Hey, everybody, I hope you're enjoying this episode. I just wanted to take the opportunity to let you know about a brand new resource I recently published. If you're interested in starting your own podcast, I've created an ebook called Launch Your Podcast Like a Pro that walks you through all the little details of producing and launching your own show. So for less than $5, you can own this resource by visiting storykingbooks.com or amazon.com. Those links will be in the show notes. And now back to today's episode. Now, when you're writing, you said Kurt Vonnegut is one of your big literary yeah. inspirations. So, is he like a voice you try to like emulate it all consciously or, or it's just <sighs> you're a fan of his and it just... That's hard. That's uh, So, I have a big problem. I, I don't know if it's a problem, but I'll read a book or, you know, a novel and I'll go and I'll start writing and I'll notice oh, I'm just writing like Kurt Vonnegut, <laughs> right? right? Like, or, oh, I'm just writing like so-and-so. And, -so. and um, that's like a big fear of mine of being derivative. And I've looked through a lot of my stories and I've seen a lot of, you know, Kurt Vonnegut elements. I've seen a lot of um, Tom Robbins elements. Um, lately, I've been reading a lot of Raymond Carver. And I've oh, noticed yeah. uh, you like Raymond Carver. I love Raymond Carver, yeah. He's, yeah, he's the man. But um I've noticed a lot of suddenly all of my short stories are like really like kind of terse and like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. like, I'm like, okay, so I need to figure this out. Like, how do I find my own voice? And so you said you were a writer. Do you do a lot of fiction or what do you do mostly? Mostly. And yeah, it's all fiction. I mean, I do some essays, but mostly I'm doing uh, short stories. I like magical realism a lot. All my okay. stuff has a fantasy element. So I'll be releasing a collection of short stories, hopefully by, by the summer, but they're all kind of like these parabolic fantasy type things. Okay. So uh, again, I, I have, uh, I mean, I'm a fan of a lot of different writers as well. Kurt Vonnegut, one of them, Ray Bradbury. Sure, uh, sure. C.S. Lewis. There's an Italian fabulous name, Italo Calvino, Kafka. So all these guys are, are big fantasy dudes. So that, that's, yeah. uh, Do you that's like, kind uh, of what I'm into. 
Gabriel Garcia Marquez. He's oh, a yeah. magical realist, right? Yeah, he has he has a great short story called a very old man with enormous wings i believe it's called yeah okay. you, you should google it it's it's a it's a really cool story but it's like they they find this really old man with enormous wings and they try to make a spectacle out of him and, and it's 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 a strange story but yeah i like that That's kind of stuff <laughs> so i know i'm being interviewed but i just want to ask uh, another it's question cool. um so how long have have you been writing short stories and stuff like your whole life or no i was more into music I did find a collection of writings from sixth grade. It was like this project that I had. And it said in there that when I grow up, I want to be a writer. So obviously, yeah, I had that in my head in, in sixth grade. And then I got more into music and I was an independent music producer for, for a number of years, 20s and 30s. I always had it in my head, when I get old, I'm going to write. You know, I don't know why, like I thought it in my head that I needed to be old, you know, I just, but then, (laughs) but then I was like, well, I need to really start working on my writing. So I I started doing music journalism since I was already into music. And then um, I got really bored with that. And I started, uh, you know, writing uh, short stories and and fiction stuff a lot. You know, the first couple of years was just pure crap. And then, uh, like you said, you do it more and more you get better and better and i had the same problem too that even now when i'm writing something i think the mind just tends to do that so if you're reading something you might tend to write a little bit more like that while you write so i'm very careful about what i'm reading while i'm writing like a longer work so right now i have like two novellas out which um okay yeah where can i find your work is it on amazon or yeah it's uh i sell basically exclusively on Amazon, but I am coming out with a website within a couple of months. So uh, I'll be announcing that on, on the show and everything, even on this episode, I'll, I'll be announcing uh, where to, where to go on, on my website and everything, but I'm on Instagram too. I used to, uh, I have a bunch of short stories on Instagram. Oh, no way. Just, just like posts that you can like scroll through or. Yeah. Like I'll do, you know, cause Instagram is all pictures. So what yeah. I'll do is I'll, I'll, write the story they have these apps that you can create text pictures you know so it'd be like 10 things that you can keep you know scrolling left to to read so i have a bunch of those that's storyking.podcast that's my instagram handle and i also offer tools and tips and everything on a weekly basis yeah and then i'm excelling on on amazon so so how long have you been writing then how long has it been so for the short stories i would say I'd say I've been writing fiction for for over ten years. Wow. Okay. So yeah. man, you're the expert, man. Wow. So, <laughs> so, it's very um, pretentious for to say, uh, <laughs> you know, because you're constantly learning and you're constantly growing. And then the more you read, the more you realize, like, oh wow, there's still yet yet to learn because like so many people have different voices and and different tricks when they're writing and you might see like one little trick and then you can employ that trick you know and and one little thing that that this other writer did and then you can employ and that's when you start to really develop your own voice it's like through reading a lot of stuff you read Kurt Vonnegut and then Raymond Carver very different writers so the thing is just like I want this paragraph to be a little bit like Ray Carver mm. and this, you know, you start borrowing from everything to eventually, you know, your own voice comes out, you know? So did you always know you wanted to do more like magical stuff or has that you evolved? Know, yeah. You know what? My, my grandfather was actually a surrealist painter. 
you know, oh, like wow. in the vein okay. of Salvador Dali and yeah, his yeah. whole life, like he never had a quote unquote real job. Wow. You know, awesome. so yeah. So he would, he lived in Queens and he would paint these, uh, he was very big on Don Quixote. So he'd okay. pa paint these real dreamlike things of Don Quixote. And then he would go on the weekends and he'd sell them at flea markets in Manhattan. Wow. And, uh, you know, my dad said that, that they were never rich, but they always had food on the table and they're, needs met and so from a very young age i had that very dreamy type uh you know art kind of infused into me so from from the painting standpoint and then when i discovered writers their stories sounded like my grandfather's paintings you know just very dreamy and everything and and then the parabolic quality i think just came from you know religious upbringing and everything so like you know, everything just kind of gets fused into to one eventually. And yeah, it just kind of emerges, you know, but I would fight different parts of myself like, oh, I don't want that out. And then, and then when you stop doing that and you just realize like, you know what, let me just let it all come out. So what, what do you mean by that? You, you stop fighting? Like, well, like for instance, when I first started writing, I, I, I would say, you know, I don't really want any religious aspect into my stories, right? Okay. But growing up, it was there was a huge amount of religious training, you know, uh, in me that I found ways to kind of fuse a lot of the core principles in, into, uh, into my stories, you know, and, and, and write these, these really weird parables, <laughs> you know? Mm. So, so that's what I meant. So I stopped fighting like, you know what, let me not, you know, hide this part of me, you know, let me go ahead and just, just put it all out there, you know, in, in, a creative and an artistic way and yeah that's, that's kind of what i've been doing yeah so that's what so, i mean by that if that makes sense i don't know no that does so do you think you'll ever write like a novel or go like for a big long story you know that's always the goal you know the the novel is is always the goal but I, you know i really resonate with raymond carver because he was somebody who felt he, he always said like he he gets bored easy he could never write like a novel and i yeah. totally like resonate with that like i can read novels but I, I get what he's saying you know that that you know i i like to move on to other things quickly so the novella is the longest work i've i've been able to to write but again i'm learning new things to to make the work to make works longer you know it's kind of just adding more perspectives more characters and you know subplots mm -hmm. and but if something's going to take me more than like six months to do, I, I know I'm going to get bored, <laughs> you yeah. know? So, so like, I have to know that in my head that if I'm going to write a novel, it's got to be at least the first draft done in like three months, or I'm going to like really lose interest. And how long does it normally take you to write a short story? Like how, what's your, sorry, I just wanted to kind of know what your process is like. No, it depends, you know? So, so there are some times that my stories are microfiction. So microfiction could be like a paragraph, okay. you know, and something like that could be like a, just a quick burst of inspiration. Generally, I always do longhand as far as like brainstorming and outlining and before I go into the paper, because okay. brainstorming, I mean, longhand allows you to write the way your brain thinks, which is messy and all over mm. the place. You're drawing, I'm drawing arrows. I'm doing this. You can't do that in the computer. Once you're in the computer, you're like locked in to yeah. the screen. You know, you can delete it, but it's not the same thing as being able to be messy. So you, yeah. you have to be able to be messy. And then, um, and organize your thoughts on paper. And then, you know, I go to the computer. So, but I've had some short stories that, that took me months to write, 
and that I'd have to like abandon for a while because I just couldn't get like the core of the story. Like I lost, it lost its way. And then one day I'll just be uh, thinking about it out of the blue and I'll be like, Oh, the reason why I lost uh, is because it's like a thousand words longer than it has to be. <laughs> you know, so uh, like I would just like, okay. yeah, almost every problem I find can be solved by just cutting. Yeah. Yeah. So like, like usually your problems solve your problems arise because you're trying to extend a, a story. You're trying to make it longer. You're trying to add too much fluff. You know, mm. and that and that's again back to Raymond Carver. He was like a no fluff dude. Mm-hmm. You know, so. But I yeah. tend to, I, I have a philosophy that every story should be written in the shortest form possible. That's how you know it's a pure story, the shortest form possible. So you don't want to write just to make the story longer. So if the story lends itself to being a novel, great. You know, if, the, if you have a cast of 10 characters, you're probably going to have a novel, you know, but if it doesn't, just be at peace with the fact that you have a shorter story because it's better to have yeah. a short masterpiece than just this long piece of garbage. <laughs> yeah, and that's something. So I, I give myself like a word count that I have to hit each day. Right. And that's something I run into is like, well, I have to add some fluff if I want to meet my word count. Right. You know? <laughs> and so, yeah, that's something that, that I run into. Yeah, so that's interesting. So do you do that full time? Is that like, is that all you do is just write then? Or? No, I, I wish. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> but but uh, no, I'm a stay at home father. We homeschool the kids. It's a labor of love at the moment, but yeah, so that's where I'm at. Yeah. Awesome. These were great questions, by the way, David. I wasn't expecting <laughs> them. <laughs> um, let me ask you, I know... Uh, if you don't mind, if you had another question, then I'll, I'll, I'll answer it. It's up to you. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. So I know you graduated with a degree in theater. Are we talking about theater in terms of like writing and performing plays? That's exactly right. Yep. Doing, doing just theater, like on the stage. Yeah. Gotcha. And how important do you think it is for people in the arts to get a formal education in their particular field? I always ask that question whenever I know somebody like graduated in film or something. I always want to know like what their experience was in film and did, or the arts and whether or not they think it's important after graduating from it. So this is, my, this is kind of my takeaway. I think that if you are going to school, going to university for maybe a fine arts degree, whether it's painting or acting or whatever. I just don't think it's necessary. That's my opinion. And I went and I went and I did the four years and I graduated and I had a fine time, but um, I'm essentially in the same place I would have been if I had just started right out of high school, right? As far as a professional standpoint, right? So if you really want to go into the business and into the industry, I think the best way to do it the best training you're going to get is if you just start going out into the actual workplace, into the actual industry and doing it. There are, you know, probably, there's probably one big reason why you would go to college and that's the connections you make. You're surrounded with like-minded people who are interested in the same things. And, um, you know, you can develop friendships that might last throughout your career. Right. But other than that, I think that the people who are naturally gifted the training isn't going to propel them that much farther. And the people who aren't naturally gifted, I don't know if a career is going to be for them in that certain field. So that's my takeaway. I just think that you really need to sit down and ask yourself, is it worth it to spend, you know, upwards 60, 70, $80,000 on, you know, a degree, sometimes a lot more 
especially on a degree that, you know, probably won't pay out. And if it does, it won't be anytime soon, you know? So especially in today's day and age where you can go on YouTube or you can go to like masterclass or, you know, any of these places. And I mean, you can watch hours and hours of videos on your, you know, your preferred subject of interest. Right. Um, you know, we have the information at our fingertips. Right. So yeah, that's, that's my takeaway. I just don't think it's worth it. I really don't. So now did your parents pay for that? I hope you didn't tell them that if, uh, if (laughs) (laughs) so I had an interesting situation. So I went around and I auditioned, um, after high school or my senior year of high school, it's like a bunch of big, like acting schools, like Juilliard and stuff. And, um, I got into a school in California that was, you know, pretty good in Southern California. And they had a, they had a great uh, theater program, but an even better film program, you know, one of the best film programs in the world. And I was like, wow, I'll be like rubbing shoulders with, you know, some of the up and coming new filmmakers, but we got down to it and we started looking at the finances and it was just going to be too much money. You know, I could have gone into a bunch of debt for it, but I decided against it. And I went to a local school here, a school that my dad happened to teach at. And because of that, I went basically for free. And um, so, you know, the school in California, would it have presented me with more opportunities and, you know, connections? Maybe. Yeah. But, um, you know, I went to a school that was a lot cheaper. And I think... I don't regret my decision because I don't have this like mountain of debt weighing on me, you know, and it is my, it is my goal in the next, you know, within the year actually to move down to Southern California anyway, hopefully, you know, whatever, whatever happens with the pandemic, pandemic, we'll see, but that, that is my long-term goal. So yeah, I didn't end up spending any money on college. And I think that's probably the only reason I really went is because it was free. So, I mean, that's, that's a great decision that I don't think uh, you have any reason to feel guilty about passing a, a more expensive one. Have you, are you familiar with Malcolm Gladwell's books? Have you ever read his stuff? Yeah, I haven't um, read his stuff, but I'm familiar with a lot of his concepts and stuff. Well, yeah. he has, uh, the, I forgot which book it was, but he was saying how they did this study about, it was had to do with scientists and, and people like trying to go to Harvard and these Ivy League schools, right? That it's so competitive in those prestigious schools that a lot of them don't end up doing the work that they went in there loving so much. They just mm. hate it and they just fall to the waist and they feel like losers over there because they might have been the top of their class, but you go to Harvard or something, you're, you're nobody. Exactly. You know? And you got to go through the next four years feeling like nobody. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know? Whereas they would go to, uh, they interviewed other people who went to like a local college and they're practicing science to this day, like 20 yeah. years later. So it's just interesting yeah. how that works out. Like people get caught up on, oh, I want to go to this school. I want to go to the best school. But your best bet is to not get into a mountain of debt. Do yeah. what you can. And, you know, it's better to be a big fish in a small pond than a little fish in a huge pond. Huge pond. Yeah. Right. And that's, <laughs> that's kind of what I've, what I've found out, you know, because... Um, the school was pretty small and the theater program wasn't huge, you know, it was kind of a budding program. And so, you know, I did have probably a lot more attention than if I had gone to one of these other schools. Like, I mean, the attrition rate at Juilliard is just like terrible. I mean, people drop out constantly just because it's like, it's like boot camp. you know, it's, right. it's, it's really difficult and it's really hard on them. So, you know, I am, I am grateful, but like I said, um, yeah, I, I would only do it if, 
if you really think that like that four-year education is right for you you know like i don't think there's anything wrong with getting an education but just know that you know you're not going to come out of it with a job like you know you're not going to get a certificate that says you know you went to dental school and now you can go be a dentist you know you don't get a certificate that says okay you're an actor you can go be in films now you know that's just not how it works you have to figure that out on your own which is like something that i'm finding out right now because i kind of went through college like i went through most of my life meaning okay this is just another checkbox that i have to check and then once i'm done i can start my life but right now i'm just in college my life hasn't really started yet and then I get out of college and it's like, I'm falling off a cliff. I'm like, oh, now I have to actually start like being proactive and figuring this out myself. Nobody's just going to hand me anything, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. That was another uh, similar thing that the director I interviewed, uh, his name's Gino Payne. He's an independent director. He did uh, camera work, Game of Thrones, a lot of cool jobs oh, wow. he had. Yeah. Very cool jobs. And he said kind of the same thing. He went to school, graduated with a degree in film. But again, he said that degree doesn't prepare you for when you're on the site and somebody like loses all the wires and you have to figure mm -hmm. out how you're going to shoot that day. You know, exactly. Like, it's the same thing that you said, like what you really need to do is just get out there and, and find jobs any way you can. Well, and it's like you're not going to walk into a, a casting room and it's not like the casting director is going to look at her, you, your resume and be like, oh, wow, he went to this school. He's got the job. You know, it's, they don't care. They really don't care. All they care about is if you look the part and if you're good. That's the only thing they care about. So, you know, they don't really care what school you went to, you know, what kind of training you had. So, right. David, do you have any last takeaways or nuggets of wisdom for young people trying to pursue a career in film, theater, writing, acting, anything like that? I mean, I would probably, if I had to give someone one solid piece of advice, I'd probably reiterate what we've been saying in that find something that you like, whatever it is, you know, find your passion. And once you do, do it and do it a lot, do it over and over and over again. You know, you have to treat it, you know, almost like it's, it's a job, really. I think that's the only way it'll work for you. I think that a lot of people in the arts have a tendency to think that, you know, they only need to create when they feel inspiration or they mm -hmm. feel inspired, you know, and that might mean, you know, they don't work on something for months and then they'll, you know, get a spurt of in inspiration and do it. And I think that that is, that's the wrong kind of mindset to have, you know, it's not like a pro basketball player only practices when he feels inspired, you know, he would be a really bad basketball player probably if he practiced once every six months, you know, mm -hmm. you have to get in there every day and some days it's going to be painful. It's not going to be fun, you know? Um, but that's when you know you're growing those days when you sit down and do something, especially when you don't want to do it. That's, those are the days you grow. Those are the days that you become better. And so if you want to be a filmmaker, if you want to be a writer, whatever, do it and practice it. And, you know, you'll look back, you know, 10 years from when you started and you'll be a completely different person, a completely different artist. So very good advice. If people want to follow you online and maybe even reach out, where can they do that, David? Um, they can go to davidchamberlain.org um, and there's a contact page in my website if they want to shoot me an email. I'll definitely read it. I don't get a ton of emails. So I, it's not like I have a manager screening my emails or anything. So well, don't yeah. tell the listeners that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the Story King podcast, David. I really enjoyed it. You surprised me with all your questions. So hopefully <laughs> uh, I don't yeah. sound 
like I have to edit too much. <laughs> no, no, you're great. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank, thank you. you. Thanks for having me. So that was my conversation with David Chamberlain. All his links will be in the show notes. Don't forget to sign up on storykingbooks.com to get your free copy of Kane's Confession. Remember, if you're interested in starting your own podcast, you can visit my website or amazon.com and for less than $5, purchase my latest ebook resource, Launch Your Podcast Like a Pro. Please follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com forward slash the story king. All those links will be in the show notes. One more thing, if you're enjoying this podcast, please do me the favor of subscribing to it and leaving a positive review on iTunes, Spotify, or the medium of your choice. And share it with your friends and family on social media. I would greatly appreciate that. Thank you for listening to the Story King Podcast, the show all about fiction, film, and form. Please join us next time. Until then.